Welcome to the Furman Woods Contemporary Art Podcast, guest curated and presented by Subterra. I am your host and one half of Subterra, Marie Chantal Hamrock. We invite you to get lost in the unknown as we take a stroll through rich woodlands, dark forests, and subterrestrial landscapes. As we navigate these eerie and unfamiliar spaces, we will explore artist talks, discussions, and original commissioned sound art. With each new episode in this season, I am amazed at the response to the theme of xylophobia. Every piece produced in response to this theme has branched off in unique and innovative ways. And this rich and profound work by A Ton of Worms roots itself firmly in our forest of xylophobia episodes. A Ton of Worms is a multidisciplinary artist and writer whose primary focus is an immersive communing with Taxus Bacata, the English U, through both classic art forms as well as field recordings, whittling, fermentation, and propagation. Their work also addresses the conservation of persecuted wildlife and plants, the maligned and misrepresented and often chthonic species overlooked by many, and the beauty and effulgence of decay at the intersection of nature and civilization. Wood as Home, Dirt as Time is the audio recording of a performance piece undertaken on the summer solstice of 2023 and edited retrospectively into a sound collage. It explores themes of time, space, nature, and human connection through the chthonic lens of an ancient yew tree. As part of the transcript for this episode, we have also attached a piece of writing composed by a ton of worms to contextualize the work. And as many of you may know, Subterra, comprised of myself and Astrid, emerged out of a deep interest in the chthonic, so it was a pleasure to speak to a ton of worms regarding themes related to the underworld, as well as the motivations behind making this piece. So, without further ado, here is Wood as Home, Dirt as Time, followed by a discussion with the artist. Maybe this place has always been seen by local people as special, as somehow spiritual, mystical. And that's partly because yew trees have always had that kind of reputation. They're evergreen, so they don't lose their leaves in the autumn like most of the trees around here. And a tree like this has been here for so long and it's been cared for by local people all that time, but actually caring for them doesn't take a lot of care. It just needs to be left well alone, really, and it will just live on and on and on. Thank you. 
churchyard, one has a sense of communion with the dead.
you described yourself as a multidisciplinary artist and writer, and I think that's a really just thing because there's it's such an embodied thing. There's the performance, there's the sound, there's the writing, which I'm really keen to talk about the writing actually. Um, and there's the the illustration, which I'm also really keen to speak about, um, and the image. So yeah, it's there's it's like you've created a whole little world or microcosm around this yew tree. Um, and yeah, so thank you very much for contributing. I mean, I think every time we commission a new artist to do an episode, I think there's no possible new way someone could respond to the theme of xylophobia because you might think it's quite like a narrow theme at first, but then you realize like everyone's got such a different perspective and you not only (laughs) like saw the tree and made work about it, it's like you went into it. And then you went underground as well. So it was like the most embodied tree experience, I think that, you know. So, um, yeah, it was, I was just wondering if you could talk about the significance of the place and of the yew tree, both in your practice in general, but also of this specific yew. Um, cause I know that you've talked about or that you're interested in the yew itself. Yeah. So I don't really know how it came about particularly it there was like a mild interest which kind of developed into a fascination which has become kind of like spiritual in a way and it really feed it like you probably already know it already it feeds into pretty much everything i do and also the kind of connection between this tree and the underworld and the kind of darker side of nature i suppose um, but yeah, so that obviously yew trees are very, very long lived organisms and also very toxic. So they've had, and also very socially used, like the first, um, the first weapons that have ever been discovered, like Neanderthal spears were made of yew tree. And obviously there was, um, the English longbow was made of yew which almost like depleted yew trees in europe altogether like the england didn't have a large enough stock so we imported them from everywhere and now there's like barely any ancient yew trees left on the continent um but this particular one is outside a very old church i'm not sure how old i think maybe saxon but what you find is like with these churches that it's Saxon on top of something else on top of something else. And it's just like a place of worship that gets built upon as the centuries go past. Uh, but this tree is suspected to be 1800, about 1800 years old. It's extremely like you've seen the picture, like it's very girthy. I think it's probably like eight meters or so in circumference, maybe a little bit bigger. And the inside of it is like a small room, basically. Like, you could fit people in there. And supposedly, there was a medieval family that stayed in it at one point. But that's, you know, they don't really, they can't verify that. So when I was thinking about xylophobia and stuff, I was thinking, you know, there's this kind of darker this fear, which a lot of it kind of draws upon like witches and poison and war and all of these kind of contextual things come in. But then also 
this tree was, I guess, a shelter at one point, and it's cared for and has been cared for by the people who go to church and the people who look after the churchyard. So that was basically, I mean, there's a lot more con like context around the piece. Like, is when I was thinking it through, there was so much that came in, but that is like, that's the reason why I chose that particular tree because it has that association with a family in it as well as you know just the general kind of vibes of the particular tree species I guess yeah and I guess yeah like you were saying the fact that a family could have supposedly lived in there gives you an idea of the sense of scale of how big it really is yeah it really is like a small room like I mean I didn't I didn't physically, I like didn't get my whole body in the tree, but I could have if I wanted to. Like I sort of lent in when I was doing what I was doing because, you know, these old trees have a lot of, there's a lot of footfall over the centuries around these trees and it compacts the roots and that can cause problems. So right. I didn't want to be like too invasive, but I was recording in the tree, yeah. like as a sort of dome um and and then i i really wanted to talk to you as well about um the 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 word chthonic and this the theme of being of like making work that is chthonic or related to the chthonic because obviously that's something that myself and astrid are really interested in and it's kind of how we started collaborating as well um and yeah it was just like maybe the the particular significance that it has to your work um, and and why you're interested in it. Um, I think that would be interesting to talk about. I would love to be able to sort of like pin that down. Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> but I'm not really sure that I can. Um, I think I've just always been drawn to this, the kind of like darker aspect of nature and the beneath the ground. And also, like, I guess in my own, I guess you, in my own spiritual kind of practice, it's kind of, you know, channeled in that direction. Um, a lot of what I was thinking in terms of the chthonic with this was um, how the earth is sort of a vessel of time, like the like the physical earth, like the soil, especially if you've had sort of like centuries of human activity. As the soil comes up, the history goes down, and eventually that down goes, I mean, it continues going down, right? Becomes the underworld. So uh, I was thinking, yeah, with the vibrations of the instrument, I guess I can call it an instrument. If you could see it, and I wish I took a picture of it because it was an absolute mess. But I was thinking of like penetrating history, basically. Like if you could, if you could hold a megaphone to the earth and scream into it, that was essentially what I was thinking of, but using a twanging sort of guitar string on a stick. Yeah, I think I, w I was thinking about how I started being interested in it as well, uh, the chthonic, and I, I, could, I couldn't really pinpoint it either. I mean, I guess it's just a sort of natural interest that some people have in the dark. <laughs> yeah, I think probably people did have it more, you know, back when we were more sort of intimately connected to the earth and what was beneath it as well as you know what comes out and also I, you spoke about how um you know um i'm not sure if it is with like the a ton of worms um thing but like you know 
representing things that might be maligned or or something and i think that the cathartic allows for that kind of othering yeah right and it's you know a lot of the sort of species that are considered of the earth are persecuted you know like badger cull foxes are hunted you, you know all of those kind of things so yeah i mean i think a part of me in my sort of ordinary political day-to-day life involved in those bits um yeah sort of it spills into one another yeah yeah i thought i just thought it was really i just think it's a very powerful um image in in multiple ways um so that that was yeah something i definitely thought about a lot while while listening to the work um even if you didn't intend it for it to be that way well that's great <laughs> um, yeah um and the other thing i was gonna say oh yeah was like uh, just to ask about the actual performance itself um and how that felt uh you know that that act what was it that you called it that action um were there was there anyone around was it completely private uh how did you feel (laughs) um so as you can probably tell from the recording it's not that far away from Rhodes. And in reality, that was so interesting, actually, yeah. because it could have been any moment in history if it hadn't been for those cars, I think, which was good because it, it, yeah, it was like, okay, this is really happening now, you know. I think they really add something to it as well. The like, I mean, I wanted it to be of an instant, you know, like of that particular moment in time, in space, like right there. Um, so. I think the cars kind of add to it and especially the sort of tone that they it's never too uh, like intrusive and it's always sort of like a quite I mean it's roaring but it's like kind of a nice bassy sort of roar but anyway yeah it wasn't it wasn't that far away from that road and that road is also not that far away from a motorway as well but I don't think you can really I don't think you can really hear the motorway in the background um, but it was just, it's just a churchyard in the middle of the countryside, really, that just happens to have like a road that comes off the motorway going past it. So it was kind of secluded. Um, and it's actually really, if you were to look at it, it's actually really nicely sort of enclosed by trees around the boundary of the churchyard. So no one can really see what I was doing, which I was kind of grateful for. And, uh, yeah, but. I didn't feel strange doing it, really. I mean, I'm around these trees a lot, so it kind of feels like being at home anyway. But I was sort of, I hadn't had no plan for what I would do if someone did come upon me. Because I know people do like frequent there because I've found like condom wrappers and like stuff tied to trees and people leave crystals and all sorts of stuff so like people do go there um and i think that ties into the chthonic thing as well like it is a space of sort of like secrecy and hiddenness like especially the tree itself um new trees normally like grow back down towards the earth and reroot their branches so you do sort of get like this arching canopy that reaches down to the ground which you know, they have very dark foliage, so it is sort of like a veil between this world and the outside. Um, 
but yeah, I have I have no contingency plan for that really. So I'm glad it didn't happen because I'm not sure what I would have done, and I really didn't want to have to interrupt that moment in time because I did want it to be sort of like unedited. I mean, it's edited, but unedited continuity of the piece. Um, but it was interesting. I can imagine. I mean, I'm sure it was trance-like almost, I'm sure. Yeah, and it was really beautiful, actually, the timing of some of the birds coming in and out and, like, their singing. Like, especially in that section in the centre when there's a blackbird singing and it sounds, like, so otherworldly when you slow it down. Like, kind of like a dinosaur. Yeah. And then right at the end, as I was leaving the space, a pigeon, a wood pigeon flew off. So it was kind of like these natural sort of like uh, moments that just kind of encapsulated the whole kind of thing. It was, it was really beautiful actually to, to sort of mess around with it after, after the fact, and then hear how these sort of other beings kind of come in and out of the piece and like add to it. Yeah. Like the blackbird is the star of the piece really. <laughs> Nothing to do with me. <laughs> I actually really loved how it ended with a bird flying away as well. I, I didn't know it was a wood pigeon. Actually, in my mind, I kind of imagined it as like a raven. <laughs> but I could hear the wings and I was like, oh, that's so nice. <laughs> yeah, just like a nice little, a gentle flapping exactly. away. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and and uh, had had you made a diddly bow before? Yeah, I had. So I So basically, I thought, what is the simplest way I can create an instrument that you know is that vibrates in the way that a sort of string would and i had made a diddly bow before but it was on a flat plank of wood and it was a lot easier to do on a flat plank of wood i can imagine <laughs> so i found there had been some wind damage to a yew tree that is sort of in the locale of where i live and there had been this huge branch like by the side of the road for ages and every time i walked past it i was like I need to take some of that wood to do something with it. And then uh, when this piece arose, I was like, finally have an opportunity to use a piece of that wood. So I went and cut some off at the side of the road. And I was like, yeah, this is going to be fine. This would be absolutely fine for it. And then when it got round to it, because I hadn't like, I hadn't practiced building it before. Like I went there knowing how to make one but never tried it on that piece of wood and you wood is like super hard so it's really difficult to nail stuff into and it was at a sort of weird kind of it was kind of bow shaped so it was quite difficult to i don't know if you know how they're made but basically a string goes over like a a circular jar or a tin so when you're doing that in sort of like a bow shape it's really weird. I can imagine. It's difficult to do. I did look at a picture of when, when I read your piece just to see what it would look like, but I cannot imagine how it would have looked with the yeah, yellow. Yeah, it was very difficult. And I sort of like, I, I, I mean, it was one, it was just very difficult and I couldn't like tighten the string as much as I'd like. So it didn't, so it kind of rattled a bit. So when it went into post, I was thinking, you know, to force someone to listen to that racket for like half an hour or whatever would have been too much. So I had to sort of like reassess what I did with that section of the piece 
Whereas I think like the building it aspect and the taking it apart aspect is, you know, is just someone sort of putting stuff together. But like the actual playing was a bit of a like a racket. So I so that's how it that's how it formed yeah. really, like into three right. pieces because I wanted to change how that sounded. But yeah, I mean it's still the same part of time like it's just an extra like 10 minutes longer maybe because I slowed that section yeah. down I I was like really struck by how clear it is just through sound when it's a human in the space you know it was just so like the kind of repetitive motion I don't know there was something I was, I was just like wow I can't see anything but I know there's someone there and that's just through knowing what human sounds are like uh, I thought that was really I never thought about that before you know and then um uh, yeah, I also became like acutely aware of my own presence then when I noticed that you were making sound and then I was like, oh, what sounds am I making? And is it obvious that it's a human? And, <laughs> like, what's the difference between me and like the blackbird or whatever, <laughs> you know? So yeah, that, that was like, uh, just I was just really interesting to think of like a person with this purpose in this kind of space. Um, and, and it made me think of the conversation that we had with Danny Treacy a few episodes ago about his work and you know you talking about the um the condoms and stuff in the and people leaving like kind of little offerings and things it just um because his work was all a lot about um how these like forest spaces get used by people and it's just really interesting you know I listened to that one and you mentioned in it how uh when Ireland was being colonized they cut down all of the woods, right? So they can yeah. see the pe the peasants, not yes. the peasants. You know who I mean, like the natives. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I was thinking, you know, those forests were mostly yew forests. Were they? I Ireland. didn't even know yeah. that. Yeah. So they oh. cut down all the yews in Ireland. That's so sad. And now there aren't really any. Yeah, I I know of one, um, but yeah, that's all. <laughs> yeah, but that piece was I really enjoyed listening to that one actually, like because it is that is how they are used in a lot of cases right like normally when i do field recordings i'm not there right oh like really I do, okay yeah i yeah i leave it overnight and it records at like midnight and that's it right so it was strange being in the space as it was recording right i can imagine i'm sure that's had you find some interesting sounds as well leaving it overnight yeah it's yeah i was see I, originally i did it as like a you know can I get something like really what I wanted was like fairies or something, yeah. you know, like or ghosts or fairies or something to <laughs> of course. Of rock up. Yeah. Or at least some like clandestine, you know, meeting of <laughs> weirdos or something, yeah. something strange, but actually it never turns out to be quite that interesting. It's just owls or like rats and bugs and stuff, which is also kind of nice, but like, yeah. It's funny. I think we stumble across these things when we're, not looking for them most of the time.
this paragraph I just thought in uh, your writing was it just captured something about how I imagined the experience would be being there and so I will try my best to do it justice. Using the massive interior of this yew tree as a sort of megaphone held to the ground, the vibrations made by the rattling string were directed into the earth, bouncing between the net of roots and into the deep past, into history made organic, to when those folk inhabited the tree, to the early church, to the new agers and heathens who leave clutes and crystals, to the lovers who fuck obscured by green and black foliage, into the bones of the buried and the underworld that opens into our own like a volcano from the gaping wound of the you itself. So that piece was written purely as like necessity. So <laughs> I had no intention of writing something, but because of because of like the masses of context that is lost through just listening. Like I, the audio piece is fine as a standalone thing, I think, but there is so much richness that is lost through not knowing sort of the context of the piece and what's happening and all the history and stuff. So really I only wrote that as a way to sort of crystallize certain aspects of it. And I think originally it was, I don't know like what format I intended to that writing to be. Like I didn't want to write too much because I could have gone on forever. Um, but yeah, it was purely to begin with something that I just felt like I needed to do so that people could have some sort of understanding of everything that's, well, not even everything, just bits that are going on. Um, generally speaking, I don't, I mean, writing is something that I wish I did more of, but at the moment I generally only like write poetry every so often. And then like on the back of zines, I'll do like a little, a dinky little sort of paragraph to set the scene. But I do have, I did have plans to, what I want to do is like walk in Wales from like yew tree to yew tree as like sort of a pilgrimage and kind of write about that as I go. Well, not as I go, but, you know, write about it in some form. I wish I had videoed it, to be honest. Really? Yeah, I think so. Because, like, that, you know, the instrument existed for, like, 15 minutes in time, and then I took it apart. So, like, you don't really have any concept of how ugly it was or how <laughs> difficult it was to put together. <laughs> like, you can hear me, like, knocking stuff over and, like, rattling around, and it's because I was trying to hammer nails into a piece of wood on, like, a tombstone. Like, <laughs> it probably would have taken a slightly more like Benny Hill kind of uh, vibe if you had actually seen it. <laughs> oh, and speaking of seeing things, actually, your drawing that you produced for, was this a piece that you had done previously or was it something you did in, well, as you were producing? No, yeah, that was done in tandem with this. Like, right. Um, it's sort of. I mean, it's sort of like a visual representation of like the structure in my mind. Like you've got the two kind of dualist, the kind of dualistic sun moon vibe going on and the sort of like, I don't know, like vibrations into the underworld and the underworld. And yeah, that was how I visualized it sort of like happening as I was doing, it. I guess. Yeah, there's so much movement in it. Like 
everything that you've described with vibration is like, and also the, um, the kind of like semicircular, uh, shape under the roots kind of reminds me of like ley lines or something, you know? Mm. Yeah. It just feels like a kind of like, uh, epicenter of energy. Yeah. I feel like that is what those trees are like though. They're just like these kind of super ancient beacons, like islands in a, agricultural wasteland now yeah. you know there's nothing that old around i mean i'm fortunate because where i live is probably like one of the last sort of bastions of like these populations of trees so they are less rare here but they are also very sparse and so there won't be anything as old as that tree around for like miles and miles it'll just be this one old thing that exists from like a world that has long gone Oh yeah, actually I have a question about the um sorry, I'm all over the place. About right, the yeah, um I was wondering about the audio samples that you had used of uh the woman yeah. talking. Uh there was one line about walking in a cemetery. <laughs> yeah, Muriel Spark. That's who that Muriel is. Spark, right, of course. Yeah. She's like oh that actually so I, everything that is in there all the samples because there is quite a lot of samples like all of it is recorded on just like a bog standard um i can't even think of what make it is but i got it for like 30 quid off ebay it's just like a little recorder so everything is like recorded through that even if it's already on something so like there's there's um speaking samples in the cent in like the central section as well that i've sort of like pitch shifted and like slowed down so they would kind of fit in with it um but all of them are like very sort of like generic sort of uh voice clips there was they were just like sourced from youtube from various videos about yew trees um but I felt like it needed to have some sort of like hum human element to it other than myself like knocking around in it. Uh, and I feel like they sort of represent nicely the sort of community and human aspect around these trees. Yeah, for sure. And then the central bit is like she was talking about like the mythology behind it and the sort of like associations with Hecate and all those bits. So that was quite nice. Um, yeah but i did actually a lot of the samples in it i'll talk about the samples a lot of the samples um are just like random little bits that i put together and sort of like stitched together so the the drum beat is a beat i stole from the intro to like a track a musical track and i just like tore it apart and stitched it together and changed it and that became that and then the drone that sort of like crescendos through the first piece like the whole way through it that's just a harmonica like that's just like i blew on a harmonica for a while i recorded it i stuck it in the thing and i just changed it around and then the central bit is the same but i've just changed it around a bit and also there's lots of like tapping on bits of wood and like bones i mean i think i wrote about it in the um the writing but yeah yeah it's all just like some full like making noises yeah (laughs) yeah but it felt like it needed some like sort of texture outside of the like central piece of it you know the central audio 
it is like I like it, but it felt like it needed sort of like more texture. And I guess in a way it's sort of like reminiscent of the tree itself. Like there is this central bowl which is enormous and you know awe-inspiring, but then there's so much else coming off it and there's like a whole ecosystem that revolves around it. I know you said you used a lot of samples, but I didn't feel like it was a lot when I was listening to it. Like it felt like they was just kind of peppered in a nice way that there was voice and there was like, because I think sometimes we need voices to like stay focused or something. I don't know. I don't know if that's just me, but. Yeah, I was worried that it, because I mean, it's quite a lengthy piece and like you could probably fall asleep to it. In a nice way, though. <laughs> yeah, well, that's. I mean, that's the reason I. Part of the reason why I started doing field recordings is because, like, I want, like, for my own use, I would like to fall asleep to like the sounds of the night in a random place, like, at a tree. Yeah, like it's kind of atmospheric, even if it's like predominantly white noise. At least, like, you're being cradled by this ancient organism as you fall to sleep. And that's kind of sweet in itself. It is. It is. So that's, that is part of it, I suppose. Like I wanted it to be, I didn't want it to be taxing to listen to. I know it is long and that in itself could be taxing, but I just wanted it to feel kind of like you're being held, I guess. Yeah. As Although it does have like darker aspects. and Yeah. You know. Yeah. But I, I definitely think it's very like, you know, you know, you say you don't want it to be taxing, but it's it's definitely not. And, you know, sometimes like work that's like very ambient sounds can be a little bit inaccessible, but because there's something really open about it. And I think it's because you're, it, you're there making sound, but also everyone is familiar with the sounds of like a woodland and that doesn't feel taxing to listen to for most people, I would hope. Yeah. But, you know, so I, I think that it, it, it works really well. And I like that we get to hear the full kind of 40 minutes of, you know, making it, playing it, destroying it. Um, we're not destroying it. Maybe that's too harsh a word. Taking it apart again. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, there, it wasn't, it didn't take much destroying us, but it like <laughs> <laughs> And I, I think there's an element of, I mean, I know maybe you, you would have liked to have taken a video of it, but I, I do like that it, it exists in that place and time um, as a sound. Um, because I, I keep referring to this ever since Maya said it in her episode, but she said that sound allows for the most fictioning out of any artistic medium. Um, and I like that it's got that sort of fictional quality to it it'll always be a fiction to everyone else but you yeah i yeah only i've experienced what actually happened yeah that's kind of nice when I'm in the company of these trees I think of how they perceive time compared to us and I think there's like I think and I might be wrong in this but I'm sure as in like some nature documentary at one point like all creatures have like a similar amount of heartbeats in their life 
before they die. And your metabolism determines how quick that heartbeat is and how quickly you die. And the smaller you are, the quicker your heart goes, the faster you perceive time. So the bigger you are, you know, it works in reverse, right? So for something to be that huge and that old, like just how it perceives the universe, to have a person around it for like an instant in time, I, I don't know whether they notice us or whether they, or you know, whether they don't, because it's just like such a fraction of their lifetime. So, I mean, it's always beautiful being around, even if they don't know we're there, which I'm sure they probably do in some of them. But. I'm sure, yeah. Yeah, I think you actually wrote about that too, didn't you? You said, um, uh, yeah, some, a being that lives in, that perceives in centuries rather than years, which I thought was a really nice way of yeah, kind of... Yeah, I think they must. But I don't know, I think it's like, I think there is a dualism to that because I expect that they do perceive or experience time on two like fronts on like deep time and also momentary time as we would but yeah it's i don't know they open up such like a fascinating for sure yeah who knows who could possibly know like we don't know how dogs perceive the world how can we know how that's true an ancient like tree perceives it yeah but in that way i guess i think sound art has been a really or field recording and, and, and editing and, you know, producing this work has been a really good way to express that sort of temporal element to this yeah, and fascination I love, that you have. I love that it's vibration as well. Yeah, that's true. About sound, like, and that's what can, like, every, even light is a sound, right? We're just like a, an acoustic hallucination in the universe. Like, everything is just vibration, so... I'm going to go a bit woo, but like, <laughs> it's what connects everything. It's what creates everything. Like, so to capture something, I mean, I wish I could have done it in an analog form. That would be my one thing because I don't like using digital because I feel like, I mean, I'm a bit of a Luddite, so I would rather <laughs> it be, you know, like in a physical format rather than binary, but you know, that's what's most accessible. So that's what of I course. use. Um, yeah. But yeah, I would love to have an artifact of it in, you know, a physical artifact. Yeah. But yeah, I just, yeah, we're connected to it. Or I was connected to the tree for that moment. And now yeah. you're connected to it for listening. So yeah, that was nice. It's nice. It's like, it feels like a nice gift in a way. It does. Not that I'm saying that, you know, it's amazing. It's a gift to you. Here you go. But like just to, I mean, I guess you get to experience it subjectively, just as I did, but in a slightly like skewed way. You can find more from A Ton of Worms on Instagram at A Ton of Worms. Accompanying images for this episode are at our website. And there are links to all of this in the episode description, as always. Listeners on Spotify are able to experience an accompanying video for this episode by artist Sapphire Goss. And for listeners on other platforms, you can find Sapphire's work on our website. All of this will be included in the episode description. Sapphire Goss is a multimedia artist who uses obsolete technologies to explore experimental materiality and hybrid collaborative forms to make work that grows, decays, and lives beyond the screen. 
She creates chimerical imagery using unexpected materials, looping and processing to make an analog uncanny, resulting in grainy, shimmering, otherworldly bursts of light and emotion, both moving and mysterious. A wonderful accompaniment to this audio work. This episode has been edited by Astrid Bjorklund, the other half of Subterra. Thank you for listening to the Furman Woods Contemporary Art Podcast. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to positively rate, review, and subscribe on your podcatcher. It helps other people find the podcast, and it makes us feel good about ourselves. This podcast series is part of Xylophobia, Furman Woods Contemporary Art's new two-year program funded by Arts Council England. Visit FurmanWoods.org for more information on our program and to sign up to our monthly email newsletter. Follow us at Furman Woods on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And make sure to check out Subterra at sub.terrestrials on Instagram. Thanks for listening. Hope to see you back here soon. <laughs>